Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Kincardine, Ontario is a small, friendly town located on the shores of Lake Huron in southwestern Ontario. Well known for its historic waterfront, sandy beaches, and million-dollar sunsets, the town is a popular tourist destination in the summer. But as the days get shorter and the nights get colder, the town's long, bleak winters can test even the hardiest of its residents. Wednesday, January 14, 1988, was shaping up to be another bitter cold day, with temperatures hovering in the minus 15 range, and the weatherman was calling for another dumping of snow. It was just before 1 p.m. when Julie Bowers parked her station wagon at the Quick K Variety Store in downtown Kincartan. The 24-year-old mother of two young boys needed to pop into the Royal Bank, located next to the Quick K, to deposit a check before heading home. In the front passenger seat was two-and-a-half-year-old Ben, and in the back seat was his 11-month-old baby brother, Dustin, or Dusty, as everyone called him. The two boys were a rambunctious handful for Julie and her husband, John. But the couple was looking forward to Dusty's first birthday in just 12 days. In fact, they had just talked about planning a birthday party over lunch. Julie and the boys met John for lunch every day at the Donuts Galore coffee shop, which was beside the gas station that John managed. Now, just 10 minutes later after saying goodbye to John, Julie was at the bank. Bundled up in his blue snowsuit, in his car seat, Dusty had just dozed off after lunch, so Julie decided to leave him while she went into the bank with Ben. With his first teeth coming in, Dusty had been a little cranky lately. Better to let him sleep, thought Julie. She had left him in the car before, while doing quick errands, and besides, she was only going to be a few minutes. Julie and Ben walked hand-in-hand into the bank. The car was unlocked. A few minutes later, Julie and Ben returned to the car. Ben was excited to show his baby brother what he had brought him. Julie's favorite teller at the bank 
always gave the boys balloons. Dusty could have his when he woke up. Julie hoped he was still sleeping. But when Julie looked into the back seat of her car, the car seat was empty. There was no blue snowsuit. There was no sleeping baby. Dusty was gone. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of a parent's worst nightmare. A baby is abducted, but his mother's trauma is only just beginning. Right away, the small town police have concerns about Julie Bauer's story. How could someone kidnap a baby in broad daylight in the middle of a busy parking lot? Then, when the distraught mother leads investigators to the location of her son 24 hours after he went missing, the police are convinced she is responsible for his death. It was an unspeakable crime, a tragedy of sorts that a small Ontario town had never experienced. Soon, accusations and rumors would fly, pitting families and neighbors against one another in the search for answers. Eventually, a murder trial would reveal even more small-town secrets, a bungled police investigation, and the heartbreaking reality of a baby's death. This is Frozen Tears, the murder of Dusty Bowers. I just want whoever took my little boy to bring back to me. Charged with first-degree murder. Killing her own child. You're a stranger only once, reads the welcoming sign as you enter the picturesque lakeside town of Kincardine, Ontario. Situated on the shores of Lake Huron, the popular summer tourist destination was originally incorporated as a village in 1858. The first police constable, Mr. William Purvis, had many responsibilities, including tavern inspector, street inspector, caretaker of the town hall, and ringer of the town hall bell, which rang five times a day. The village eventually grew into a prosperous town, attracting many Scottish immigrants, a heritage that is still celebrated with a Scottish pipe band parade down Main Street every Saturday night during the summer months. Then, with the opening of the Bruce nuclear plant on the outskirts of Kincardine in the early 1970s, the town's population rapidly expanded. By the late 1980s, the town had grown to over 6,000 permanent residents, but it never lost its small-town charm. You couldn't go to the local grocery store or post office without running into someone you knew, and there was always a hockey game on at the local ice arena. Neighbors watched out for each other, and no one locked their doors. Residents didn't worry too much about crime. That was something that happened in the big cities like London, Ontario, or Toronto. But, an ordinary winter's day in January of 1988 was about to change all that. It was just after 1 p.m. 
when the local police detachment received a strange 911 call. A baby was missing. When the first police officer arrived at the Quick K parking lot, he was met by a distraught mother with a toddler and several other people who had gathered to try to keep her calm. The baby's gone, the baby's gone, she kept screaming. She finally managed to tell the officer that she had left her son sleeping in his car seat when she went into the bank. But when she came out only a few minutes later, he was gone. Looking into the woman's unlocked car, the police officer noticed that the buckles on the baby's car seat were done up. Had someone taken the baby out of the car seat and refastened the buckles? Odd, he thought. The woman identified herself as Julie Bowers and said her missing son's name was Dusty. He was 11 months old and was wearing a blue snowsuit. Within minutes, the local police set up roadblocks in and out of the small town and called in the Ontario Provincial Police to help in the desperate search for the missing baby. The shocking news quickly spread throughout the small town. Nothing like this had ever happened in Kincardine. Phones began ringing all over town and friends and neighbors of the Bowers went door to door hoping someone might know something. Concerned citizens quickly organized search parties in and around the downtown core and hastily made flyers with Dusty's smiling face were posted all over town. But as the hours passed and the temperature dropped, dread grew. Where was Dusty Bowers? That evening, a shy, tearful Julie Bowers, sitting next to her husband John and son Ben, appeared on the local news, asking for Dusty to be returned safely. I just went, whoever took my little boy to bring back to me. He was just gone missing out of the car when I came back. That's all I know. But the next morning, Friday, January 15th, there was still no sign of Dusty. Investigators on the case were growing concerned. They knew the longer Dusty was missing, the stronger the chance they would not find him alive. Whoever took him could already be long gone. The police needed to widen their search beyond Kincardine and notify airports and border crossings. Images of the missing toddler were already on the front page of the Toronto Star and other major newspapers across the province. Back in Kincardine, the OPP were mobilizing for another search. Then, a little later that same morning, Julie Bowers arrived back at the local police station, accompanied by her sister-in-law, Helen Sears, who was married to Julie's twin brother, John. Julie wanted an update on the search for Dusty. Where did the police look? Had they widened their search beyond the town? But then, to the shock of the investigators, Julie announced that she might have some new information about the baby's whereabouts. Last night, I had a dream, she said. Julie then proceeded to tell the police that she had seen Dusty in her dream. He was in his blue snowsuit, lying in the snow, and there were pine trees and bushes. 
I don't know if Dusty is alive, she continued. The police weren't quite sure what to make of her so-called dream. Was this the hallucination of a distraught mother? Or was this some kind of confession? Julie then volunteered that she might recognize the area where Dusty was, if she saw it. It was a bizarre statement, but the police decided to drive Julie around town. Maybe she did know more about her son's disappearance than she had initially said. In an unmarked police cruiser with two concordant officers, Julie told them to head north out of town. They drove past the hospital and past McConnell Drive, the site of a new subdivision approximately two kilometers out of town. Then, Julie told them to turn around and drive back down McConnell Drive. The police officers would later testify that Julie was becoming more and more agitated in the car as they drove down McConnell Drive, and at one point started hyperventilating and banging her head against the metal barrier in the police cruiser. Pulling up along an icy snowbank, one of the police officers noticed footprints in the snow heading into the cedar bush. Julie got out of the car and looked around. Then, she pointed to something. It was a faint patch of blue lying in the snow several feet off the roadway. He's there! He's there! she yelled. Julie started to run towards the blue patch, but one of the officers stopped her. He didn't know what they had found, but he couldn't risk contamination of the scene. He put Julie in the back of the police cruiser and then walked into the woods. There, the officer found what they had been looking for. It was Dusty Bowers, still in his snowsuit. He had a light covering of snow on his face and tears had frozen on his cheeks. It was 26 hours since he had been reported missing. Just days before his first birthday, 11-month-old Dusty Bowers was found frozen to death in the snow, surrounded by pine trees, just like his mother had seen in her dream. But now, the day after she claimed Dusty had been stolen out of her car, Julie Bowers was charged with his murder. Julie Bowers, the mother of the deceased Dustin Bowers, has been charged with first-degree murder. Julie's arrest traveled fast, and it didn't take long for news crews from London and Toronto to descend upon the small town. Kincardine was a close-knit community that had come out in force to search for the missing baby. But now, they were left with the tragic ending and the terrifying reality that one of their own, a young wife and mother, may have killed her own child. But why? That was the question on everyone's mind. As whispers and gossip swirled around the town, it wasn't long before a less than flattering picture of Julie Bowers emerged. Considered the black sheep of her family, her own sister and father had nothing kind to say about her. Soon, many people in Kincardine were convinced of her guilt. The whole town can't be wrong, said one local resident. 
on January 17, 1990, almost two years to the day when Dusty Bowers' body was discovered in the woods. His mother, Julie Bowers, went on trial for his murder. The charges of first-degree murder had been reduced to second-degree, and the trial had been moved to Toronto in the hopes of finding an impartial jury, something that was going to be impossible anywhere near Kincardin, Ontario. But even in Toronto, this was a sensational case. Dozens of reporters and news crews were camped outside the University Avenue courthouse as Julie Bowers and her husband John arrived with their legal team. This was the first public sighting of Julie since her arrest. Julie had been out on bail, but had been forced to live apart from her husband and son Ben. She was no longer welcome in Kincardine. On the first day of the trial, Huron County Crown Attorney Brian Farmer outlined his case to the jury of seven women and five men. In his address, he stated that there was only one logical explanation as to how Julie Bowers was able to lead the police to her son's body, because she had put him there. As for motive, why she had left her baby to freeze to death, the Crown Attorney admitted that no one could answer that question except Julie Bowers. Without a motive and with no physical evidence putting Julie Bowers at the scene of the crime, Brian Farmer told the jury that the timing of Dusty's death and the condition of his body were critical in proving that it was Julie who had left him in the snow. Therefore, the Crown's argument would rely heavily on the testimony of medical experts. The Crown's first expert witness was Dr. Charles Smith, chief pediatric pathologist for the Hospital for Sick Children. Smith had performed the autopsy on 11-month-old Dusty Bowers. In front of a packed courtroom, the doctor told the jury that Dusty Bowers was a beautiful little boy who appeared well cared for and very healthy. He then stated that based on his medical findings, Julie Bowers could have left Dusty in the snow before reporting him missing. According to his forensic analysis, parts of the baby's body were frozen to the core, indicating that he had been outside for at least 27 hours. That was a precise timeline that stretched back to one hour before Julie had reported her son missing. Dr. Smith's testimony fit perfectly with what the Crown, the police, and most residents of Kincardine already believed, that Julie had left her son on the outskirts of town before driving to the bank where she then reported him missing. But, according to defense attorney Jack Pinkowski, Dr. Smith's timeline was too perfect. He challenged the doctor, whose previous findings before the trial had fixed Dusty Bowers' time of death at two later times, after Julie had reported him missing. At the preliminary hearing in June 1988, Smith gave evidence which placed Dusty in the snow at the earliest of 5.30 p.m. on January 14th. Then, 
in a pre-trial meeting with Julie's defense team in May of 1989. The doctor suggested that Dusty had been placed in the snow around 9.30 the night he went missing. Is this the way you pass off your evidence? As a series of guesses? asked defense lawyer Jack Pinkowski during a lengthy cross-examination. The estimation of the time of death is really an educated guessing game, responded Dr. Smith. A guessing game? Was Smith simply speculating when Dusty Smith had died? Dr. Smith's credibility had just been significantly damaged in front of the jury. And without it, the Crown knew they were going to have a difficult time proving their case. But even more concerning for the Crown was the defense team's own medical expert, who testified that she was certain that Julie Bowers had not caused the death of Dusty. Dr. Janice Opoven, a pediatric pathologist from Minnesota and one of the world's leading experts on child hypothermia, told the jury that Dusty's body was not frozen. There was no damage to his internal organs or tissues that suggested he had been left outside in the freezing temperatures for as long as Dr. Smith had stated. The condition of Dusty's body indicated that the baby was exposed to the cold for 16 to 18 hours, Opoven testified. She concluded he was likely left in the snow between 10 p.m. and midnight on January 14, 1988. In her opinion, there was simply no forensic evidence to support Julie Bauer's guilt. It was another significant blow to the Crown's theory. But Dr. Opoven wasn't done. She had even more damning testimony that was going to destroy the murder case against Julie Bowers and call into question the competence of a small-town police force. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. In what had originally appeared to be an open and shut case for Huron County Crown Attorney Brian Farmer, the Julie Bowers murder trial was turning into an intense courtroom drama with many surprises. While the town of Kincardine had already tried and convicted Julie Bowers in the court of popular opinion, a criminal conviction was looking less likely. Ontario's chief pediatric pathologist, Dr. Charles Smith, had been discredited on the stand. And now, a leading expert on child hypothermia had testified that there was no evidence to support Dr. Smith's timeline. Dusty Bower's body did not show any signs of long-term exposure to freezing temperatures that were on record at the time of his disappearance. It was scientifically impossible for Julie Bowers to have left her son in the snow. But in examining the baby's autopsy results and the forensic evidence, Dr. Janice Opoven was confident that she could determine a more precise time of death. Dr. Opoven testified that she believed Dusty Bowers was still alive when he was found and had died in the body bag on the way to Toronto for autopsy. Gasps could be heard throughout the courtroom and a few of the jurors bent over in their seats appearing as though they might be physically ill. Opoven, who had testified in more than 20 hypothermia-related cases, said Dusty may have simply been near death when police discovered the toddler shortly before 3 p.m. on January 15th. She said the process of death by exposure to cold results in the body's systems slowly failing, and vital signs are undetectable prior to actual death. Fixed and dilated pupils, an undetectable heart rate, no breathing, no evidence of blood circulation, is also compatible with someone who is profoundly hypothermic, but still alive, Opoven said. In hypothermia cases, particularly in children, she added, Re-establishing a normal body temperature and an attempt at resuscitation must be done before determining an absence of life. It was a sickening revelation. Dusty could have been suffering from hypothermia when he was discovered, and if the police had attempted to resuscitate him, 
he may have lived. Dr. Opoven went on to state that the coroner also failed to treat the baby. Coroner Richard Mann had pronounced Dusty dead at the scene around 4 p.m. after failing to detect any vital signs. After being declared dead, Dusty was then left for three hours at the side of the road in the cold, and then another three hours in a body bag while being transported to Toronto. The doctor said she suspected Dustin was still alive because autopsy results indicated his body showed no significant signs of freezing. She said Dustin's body was stiff, but not frozen, except for signs of frostbite on his left foot. He should have been rushed to a hospital, said Dr. Opoven, before adding, in all my years, this is the most awful case that I've ever had, and it still gives me nightmares. Dr. Opoven had just proven what the defense believed all along, that the Kincardin police had mismanaged the investigation from the beginning, convinced that Julie Bowers was responsible for Dusty's death. Tunnel vision had prevented them from possibly saving the baby's life and conducting a thorough investigation. The footprints in the snow that led to Dusty's body were never measured to see if they matched Julie's foot size. Her car was never dusted for fingerprints, and Dusty's clothes were not examined for forensic evidence. And the police never followed up on a report of a mystery man at the Quick K parking lot. An eyewitness had come forward to say she saw a man carrying a baby in the parking lot around the time of Dusty's disappearance. She noticed the man seemed to be in a hurry. The witness gave a description of the man, his car, and even a partial license plate, but the man was never located. With the trial leaning in favor of the defense, Julie Bauer's lawyers decided to put their client on the stand. It was a risky move, but they wanted the jury to hear from Julie directly. On the stand, choking back tears, Julie described the dream she had the night Dusty went missing. Yes, she had seen him lying in the snow surrounded by trees, but she denied leading the police to where his body was found. She had only asked them to search beyond downtown because she had not seen any buildings in her dream. Something was tearing me apart, said Julie. I kept seeing Dusty's face over and over again. I felt very close to him, as though he was calling out to me. He needed me. After driving up and down numerous rural roads, Julie said the police officer stopped on McConnell Drive and got out of the car. When she and the other officers caught up to him, she looked into the woods and saw something blue lying in the snow, which turned out to be dusty. She screamed. But the next thing she knew, she was put into the back of the police cruiser and taken to the Concordon police station. Soon after, she was charged with Dusty's murder. The police were convinced Julie had murdered Dusty and out of guilt had led them to his body. Now, two years later, sitting in the witness box, the shy, soft-spoken mother was ready to talk about her feelings of guilt. 
Why hadn't she taken Dusty into the bank with her? Why did she leave him? Why did she leave the car unlocked? She admitted that it wasn't the first time she had done it, and her own family had warned her not to leave the kids in the car. She would never forgive herself for leaving him, but Julie was adamant that she had nothing to do with Dusty's death. If Julie hadn't left her baby to die in the snow, who had? The defense team was just about to drop another bombshell. Putting Julie Bowers on the witness stand in her own defense had been a risky move on the part of the defense lawyers, but they were convinced of their client's innocence and were certain the jury would be sympathetic to the young wife and mother. It was obvious to all listening in the courtroom that day that Julie Bowers was devoted to both of her young sons and had no motive to harm Dusty just before his first birthday. But, according to the defense, there were others who did have a motive. The lawyers accused Julie's twin brother, John Sears, and his wife, Helen Sears, of taking Dusty out of the car that day in order to teach Julie a lesson. Apparently, Julie had a habit of leaving the boys in the car when she ran errands, and her brother and his wife had warned her not to. The defense speculated that when John and Helen saw Dusty asleep in his car seat, they took him to scare Julie. But when mayhem ensued and the police arrived, John and his wife panicked. Within an hour, it seemed like the whole town was searching for Dusty, and John and Helen didn't know what to do. On the witness stand, John Sears could not account for the time frame in which Dusty was taken and admitted that he had driven past the bank on that day, which was not his usual route home. And while Julie Bowers' whereabouts on the night of Dusty's disappearance could be accounted for, since she had spent most of her time at the police station and with family, the same could not be said for Helen Sears. She claimed to have driven to the local hospital late that night to pick up sleeping pills for Julie but no one at the hospital could confirm her story. And it was Helen, Julie's best friend and sister-in-law, who had convinced Julie to go to the police to tell them about her dream. Another witness testified that he had seen a car at 4 a.m. that morning sitting at the side of the road, approximately four kilometers from where Dusty's body was found. When he approached the vehicle, he saw two people inside and what looked like a bundle of clothing in the back seat. The car was similar to the one John and Helen Sears owned. The defense believed that it was John Sears, Julie Bauer's twin brother, and his wife who took Dusty and then not knowing what to do, left him in the snow to die. They also accused Julie's older brother, Alan Sears, of helping them cover it up. In his closing argument, defense attorney Jack Pankowski concluded that simple math proved that Julie Bowers did not kill her own son. On the day Dusty disappeared, Julie and her sons had been seen at the donut shop at 12.45. And then, 10 minutes later, she was at the bank. 
she could not have traveled to the spot where Dusty's body was found, which would have taken approximately 17 minutes. Unless she was in a racing car or rocket ship, she could not have done this, Pinkowski said to the jury. In his closing argument, Crown Attorney Brian Farmer repeated what he had stated in his opening statement, that it was guilt that led Julie Bowers to the exact spot where her baby lay in the snow. Farmer reiterated that no one would ever likely know what motivated the young mother to abandon her baby, but the only logical explanation for Julie knowing the location of the crime scene was because she had left Dusty there. He then asked the jury to return with a verdict of guilty to second-degree murder. In her charge to the jury, Justice Mabel Van Camp described the case as a jigsaw puzzle that needed to be carefully put together. She asked the jury members to put aside their own emotions and think about all of the medical testimony and evidence that had been presented. She then reminded the jury that the burden of proof was on the Crown to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. The jury should find Julie Bowers guilty of second-degree murder if they believed she caused her son's death and meant to kill him. If they believed Dusty died as a result of her actions, but she did not intend to kill him, they should find her guilty of manslaughter. But if you have a reasonable doubt of any of those elements, said the judge, then you must find her not guilty. The Julie Bowers murder trial had lasted 49 days and over 65 witnesses had been called. Now it was up to the Toronto jury to decide if the 26-year-old mother from Kincardine, Ontario had left her 11-month-old baby in the snow to die. On March 16, 1990, just two days after they had been sent away to deliberate, the jury announced they had reached their verdict. Acquitted, announced the jury foreman in front of a packed courtroom. Julie Bowers was found not guilty. Thank you, thank you, Julie said, as tears ran down her cheeks. Go home and hug your son, said one of the several jury members who hugged Julie outside the courthouse later that day. Her legal nightmare was finally over, but nothing was going to bring back Dusty and whoever had taken him was still out there. Following Julie Bauer's acquittal, the Crown Attorney's Office announced that they would not be appealing the verdict. But based on the allegations against other family members during the trial, the OPP announced that they would continue their investigation into the murder of Dusty Bowers. Just five months later, in September 1990, the investigation was closed and no further arrests were made. And that was how the investigation remained for decades, until 2019, when W5, a Canadian investigative news program, produced a documentary on the case and approached the Ontario Provincial Police with their findings. Julie Bowers had been found not guilty, but why hadn't the police investigated the other leads presented at the trial? The clothing and blue snowsuit Dusty was wearing when he was found were still in an evidence box 
at OPP headquarters. But the items had never been retested using today's forensic technologies. And Charles Smith, the forensic expert who testified at Julie Bauer's case, went on to become the most disgraced pathologist in Canadian history. In 2005, an Ontario coroner's inquiry had determined that Smith made questionable conclusions of foul play in at least 20 child autopsies, resulting in criminal convictions against innocent parents. W5, the Canadian news program, had provided compelling evidence that supported a renewed investigation into Dusty Bauer's murder. After the documentary aired, and over 30 years after he was left to die in the snow, the Ontario Provincial Police finally agreed to reinvestigate the Dusty Bowers cold case. For Julie Bowers, the events of January 14, 1988 will never be forgotten. It started out as just another ordinary day in the life of a busy young mother. But in one brief moment, her entire world collapsed. Her first nightmare began when she discovered Dusty missing from his car seat. And her next nightmare was set in motion when she was accused of killing him. Following her acquittal in 1990, Julie returned briefly to Kincardine but was soon confronted with the harsh reality that many in her hometown still believed she had gotten away with murder. The young family was forced to relocate to a town in northern Ontario, where few people had heard of the famous murder trial. Julie had not only lost her son, but her entire family, after shocking accusations against her brothers and sister-in-law were revealed during the trial. Today, Julie Bowers rarely returns to Kincardine, except occasionally to visit her son's grave. I speak to him, she said. I tell him that I love him and that I have not forgotten him. Speaking out for the first time on the W5 documentary in 2019, Julie was hopeful that the police would continue their investigation into the kidnapping and murder of Dusty, her happy baby boy with the big blue eyes. If you have any information about the Dusty Bowers murder case, the OPP hotline is 705-716-85. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. Written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening.
Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.